Hi, I'm Scott. Welcome to the Synthetic Dreams podcast. From well-known pioneers to exciting new artists, on this show I interview musicians from the world of electronic music and beyond. Hi, my guest this week is electronic duo Oon, which is DJ Paul Langley and radio DJ and broadcaster Mark Radcliffe. The the duo made three fantastic um, electronic albums and they've done live shows across the UK, playing Blue Dot Festival, they've supported Heaven 17, and next year they're about to go on a tour with uh, Turing Breaks. And Mark Radcliffe, of course, um, is no stranger to being in bands and playing live shows. Um, he achieved commercial success back in the 90s with the Shire Horses, who in fact was the first ever band that I saw at my first ever Glastonbury. He was also a member of the folk-led um, Family Mahone, and so along with playing these shows of Oon, he also plays drums with the band Fine Lines, and they've just come off a, a UK tour with legendary actor and lost boy, Kiefer Sutherland. So it's really good to speak to um, Paul and Mark, and it was a fantastic um, and really fun conversation. So here they are, the very wonderful Oon. So I'm delighted to be joined by Paul and Mark on the podcast today to talk about all things Oon. So thanks for joining me. Nice to see you. And you, and you. Thanks for having us. I'd like to kick off with uh, talking about your second album, which was released last year, called Dew. That's how I pronounce it, the French Well, well uh, we're called Oon, which is one, of course, and that's our second album. So it's called De. De. One, two, and it's the second album, and there are two of us. However, we kept saying De, and people thought it was called De, uh, like <laughs> D-U-H apostrophe. So now we call it Deux. <laughs> which is not the pronunciation, but we now call it Deux. I like that. Yeah, I do. Six, doesn't it? Mm. I love it. So talk us through the bit about the making of the album. Um, was this, so this came out last year, was there any bit sort of done around any of the lockdowns? Did you start work, you know, when we had those awful lockdowns that we all went through? Well, I mean, Oon is a great, because, you know, we just bounce things back and forth between the two of us. Oon is a great, we more or less work as if in a lockdown all the time anyway, you know, because we don't need to get together with a band and things. And so, you know, it it, it is. Although, funnily, the songs of this would been, had been around longer. We actually made a sec, uh, another album last year called Spominic, uh, which was a vinyl-only thing. That's right. And, and that was very much a lockdown album. That, that, came, that came very quick for us because they, they, they take us quite a long time because the, the, the advantage of it being two of us is, you know, you don't have to try and see what the drummer and the bass player and everybody wants to do. The disadvantage is we do everything ourselves. And so, yeah. you know, we change it all the time. And yeah. uh, it takes quite a long time. We'll start off with some basic rhythm and chord ideas of Paul's. Always work, He's always working to a title. I've always given him the title and I'll have some yeah. words. And then, so we'll start separately and gradually bounce it backwards and forwards, working it up together until, <clears throat> until we've got something that we like. So it can take quite a long time. It's, you know what it reminds me of? We like the, do you remember a band mark called the Olden Tinkers? We're <laughs> like the nuts for tinkers, where we just tinker with it. We get the little basic yeah. tinker with it and go, this comes in, that goes in, take that out, move this, um, put that oh, there. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, you don't really have to compromise because if you're in a band, there's always a compromise. There's, always, there's so something someone plays that you think, oh, I'm not sure about that, or some, you know, there's always the, was this the, the danger is that it's open ended, and so yeah. you can go down a rabbit hole just looking for, you know, which we, we spent a whole afternoon for this late, the latest album we've done. We spent a whole afternoon sat in Paul's kitchen with an ARP Odyssey, just making wind noises. Wow. Um, and so it was for one track, just for one bit of one track. So that was like about yeah. five hours work just for that, you know. So <laughs> we just get a bit lost in it sometimes. But, you know, we've nothing, else, we've nothing else useful to do, so we might as well. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So we're... Because I know you use a studio in Nutsford, is that right? Where, or, or, or do some of it, do you do via file sharing or, or do you try and get in the studio as well? Well, we, we're the... Um, Right side of the track studio is Monkey's back bedroom. <laughs> I, <laughs> because it, yeah. because it's by, he's there by the railway line. So that, that and Paul's nickname is Monkey. So that what you're seeing there is Monkey in right side of the track studio. We hope when we're really famous, there'll be a blue plaque on it. Yeah, there will, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be Phil Spector of Nutsford. Well, not. Well, but, I hope not. But he's not shot anybody. Um, but the, uh, put a yeah. plaque on there now. <laughs> But then we do well, like to go quite a lot. Of, we do like to go in the studio and do the vocals because it's kind of, I find it hard. It's hard singing on your own, really. And you need someone to play the track and you do it again and again. So really, you know, singing singing in Paul's back bedroom with his wife, Michelle, telling us to shut up and the dog barking. It's, um, you know, so we have, we do, we have started going in the studio to do the, uh, yeah, to do the vocals. Yeah. And, and usually, because we're so involved in it, it gets to a point where we want to pass it to someone else to do a final mix. Um, yeah, so we've yeah. used Jim Spencer and a guy called Gaz Dupes at the edge and all the edge where we say, right, we, we sort of think this is right, but like just a fresh set of ears on it just to finish it off, really. Um, and we tend not even to go for that. We just wait for them to send it back to us and make any corrections after that. Yeah. <laughs> Jim, Jim Spencer, he's worked with some great people, isn't he? Like top of my head, like New Order, I think he's worked yeah. with and charlatans. I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's done lots too. Have these yeah. people to to work on it with you? Well, he was Johnny Marr's engineer of choice, and Johnny put us onto him, and um, and so yeah, he worked at a studio up in um, was it Offerton, Paul? Was it yeah, Bredbury or Bredbury or somewhere like that? Marpley Way, wasn't it? Up there anyway. Stop. <clears throat> yeah. So we send him the file. We don't really see him, but we send him the files, and it comes back, and we make a few last minute adjustments. But yeah, he's done. He sometimes he can incredible, just, isn't he? Sometimes you can just do, yeah, just see something and make it just that bit better, yeah. I mean, it still sounds fantastic. I mean, I had the album on again on my dog walk this morning. And it did oh, thank you. Quality-wise. Um, yeah. not saying everything has to sound great through headphones, but it does. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, yeah. you're yeah. doing the right thing. I, I think Jim, Jim's very much into spatial panning, so things that come in and come out. Yeah. When I say, I send note, little notes to him and say to him, can you just put this over there and that over there? And it, it's just second nature to it. You just can, I can almost see it. You know, it's like, yeah, I know what you mean. I think the yeah. thing is with electronic music, you know, um, as you all know, it's like you have the chance to make it sound perfect and pristine, you know. Yeah. Um, sometimes the, uh, the challenge is messing it up a bit and making it a bit more yeah. grainy and gritty, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean um, but, we, you know, this new album we've just done, which is going to come out in the spring, Oh, brilliant. That is very clean and very pure. It is. Um, it is. And, and we sort of enjoyed that, really. I'm pleased to hear that. Do you have a title for it yet, or is that sort of...? We do have a title. It's called Whirl, W-H-I-R-L. 
It's probably probably won't get that. We'll be probably be calling it We're Heal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're Heal. We're here, and that's uh, that's about things that whirl, sort of different things that whirl round. It started off, you got a bit obsessed with the whirling dervishes, yeah, and I was watching them and thinking, sometimes we do that, we do that quite a lot. So, like, watch that, and I'll say to Paul, Look at these guys, look at these whirling dervishes. What, how, what, what music does that make you imagine? Yeah, and let's take it from there sometimes. So, it's, we, we tend to always start with a concept and a title and a picture, so it's very visual from the very beginning. A very snappy one-word titles, not like, <laughs> say, the Manic Street Preachers who have those really long, like, pretentious titles. It's like, I like it. It's snappy. <laughs> Boom. That's, part, it? that's part of our aesthetic. That's a part of our conceptual thing. It's like, yeah. we're called Oon, which is one, which is a one-word name. And so all the song titles and yeah. all the albums just have one word. Yeah, it's fantastic. And you mentioned for vocals earlier. Um, try remember the name of the track. I think it's the opening track. Is it Deviled, which features mm. uh, John Cooper Clark? Mm. I mean, I was going to say, how did you get him involved? But I assume the both of you must must know him from, you know, way back. If you yes. from the music, Mark more than Mark more than me. Yes, I'm Mark. Uh, yeah, I, I've known John for many years, and his manager Phil Jones is a big mate of ours as well. Yeah, and um, uh, and we actually. Our first ever gig was a, a festival in Scotland called Loopaloo at Ullapool, right up on the West Coast there. And um, John Cooper Clark was on there. And we had this idea for this song, Devil, because of John playing the part of the devil. And he was staying in the same hotel as us. And so one afternoon, you just set up a little recorder in the lounge, didn't you? Mm, I did, yeah, for a laptop. We had a wonderful a time there. We used to have breakfast every morning with John Cooper Clark and Val McDermott, the crime writer. We were all up there together. We had a lovely time. And so we got John to record it without the track up there and then uh, and then dropped it in. Yeah, but he likes it. He's heard it and he liked it and he it's likes wonderful. it. Yeah. It's a wonderful track. And lyrically, I mean, were the lyrics inspired? I know because um, I've reread your book, Crosswords. Um, right, yeah. And there's that wonderful bit where you go to the, the deep south. Um, yeah. Deep south USA, not Plymouth, if anyone's, you know, yeah. <laughs> USA. And, um, yeah, so are some of the lyrics inspired by your trip to Mississippi and all those wonderful places there? Very much so. Um, I went to, on my 60th birthday, I went on a trip with a couple of old mates. We went to Memphis and Nashville. And as we were driving from Memphis to Nashville, we went through this place called Clarksdale, Mississippi, which are at the junctions of Highways 61 and 49. That is supposed to be the place where Robert Johnson, the old Delta blues man, met the devil and in a Faustian pact surrendered his earthly spirit in return for talent and riches. Um, and so I was fascinated by that now. And, and you know, then we came back to I came back and started talking to Paul about it. And I had this sort of dust bowl sort of Mississippi small town film set in my head. Yeah. And I thought, well, could you make um, could we make a, an electronic blues song? And what we first had was that thumping beat, wasn't it? The drum. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the, the break. Yeah, that was. A lot. Yeah, it's a really heavy, filthy, nasty break, which just seems to. Yeah, Fit, really so we had that big drum break, and then we had that um sly guitar riff that I played over it. Um, and that's kind of all we had for quite a long time, but that was that was enough to start it in motion, you know, it was feeling mm. right, you know, it felt it had the right atmosphere, and um, 
yeah so we always that we've got about three songs that whatever wherever we play and however long we play we've got about three songs that we always do and that's one of them yeah it's fantastic i was, I was trying to i think then about the whole blues and the electronic thing because obviously i'm speaking i'm I'm sure I listened to uh, an Alan Vega album where he used a lot of bluesy slide guitar and the electronics. So it's not, you know, it's yeah. been done before and it works really well. And that, yeah, he had like an electro Billy thing going on, Alan Vega, like jukebox babe and things like yeah. that. So the rock and roll he was doing electric. a rock -a electro rockabilly album. Yeah, I yeah, love all yeah. That. I think why mm. not? Um, why not? Yeah. And somewhat, I like, it's actually to both of you, you've got such good taste in music, very eclectic. Obviously, you do a folk show as well. I mean, uh, that's what I like about. The two of you, you just so many different music scenes that you like, and why not? Mm. Why not do electronic and then go and do a, a folk show or go and do this band? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, what I like. Why about. not? Why yeah. restrict? Why restrict it? But uh, but yeah, you get mean, people say, "How can you be doing electronic when you when you're you know get that all the time? Why not? Get that, get that all the time and said like Easy. you know, but I don't. I never understand the logic of that. So, like, you know, if you went to if you went into um, a restaurant you've been to before and say, I'll have steak and chips and said, really, you had fish last time. Yeah, well, I want something different. What's wrong with that? You know, yeah. going to a pub and say, um, I, I'll have a Campari and soda, please. They say, yeah, we had bitter before. I said, I know I'm allowed to drink more than one drink. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's no there's no law that says you've got to have or do the same thing constantly. You know, um, oh, you, you know what? You're going to Bali, but you went to Blackpool before. Yeah. You've not been to Blackpool, so I'm going to Bali now. <laughs> you know, the, the logic that people seem to apply to want to put you in a box with music evades me, I must say. Yeah, the whole genre thing. I mean, you must must, you know, you must have that over the years, just about why everything has to be categorized and why you can't just like everything really. Well, you can just like good everything. Music is good music. Exactly. And that's why I never I never um, acknowledge the concept of guilty pleasures, you know. People, no, say, people say, oh, ABBA is my guilty pleasure. Well, why should it be guilty if it gives you pleasure? Yeah. That's a contradiction in terms. That's what, that's what yeah. ABBA wanted it to be, is to give people pleasure. So if it yeah. does, that's great. There's no guilt involved in that. No, I'm totally with that. I mean, I love some, <laughs> still some pop music that I like when I was like 10, I like now, because it's just good music. It doesn't yeah. matter yeah. what it is. You know, some of the Stock A. Walton songs still sound. Yeah. Oh, man, some of the Kylie Minogue thing that they did, you know. Um, yeah. What was the one I love? Better the Devil You Know. Yeah, it's great. That's such a great song. Kylie sings that so well. Yeah, just it's a great song. Yeah, they're great. I just think of another uh, song I like, and it's I, another one, really clever how you titled it, is it's Quest, but spelt K-West together, which is that the, possibly the reference to the Ziggy Stardust album with the K-West sign, I think. Yeah. And again, um, your ode to, to David Bowie. Um, yeah. Who I know... Um, I mean, I know you've met, you've probably interviewed over the years, Mark, haven't you? Or, um, mm. And have you, did you ever also meet him, Paul, at any stage? No, I've never met him. I know, I know people around him, but I've never met him. I know yeah. um, what a wonderful uh, artist. people who worked with him, like when he was doing his jungle stuff, like Go Old Metalheads team. Yeah. We worked with him at, at that. Uh, Alex Reese, who worked with him uh, with Gold at the time. But I've never met him. Really. He's, to me, he's just like the ultimate, you know? Yeah. Just saying what you said then just proves how wonderful he was. I mean, all those different genres that he worked on. I mean, ridiculous. I can't. Ridiculous. If anyone says I don't like it, I don't like David Bowie. I'm like, well, you must like something because he had so. Mm. It's like a jukebox of different types yeah. of genres over the years. I mean, well, that's what I was saying before, isn't it? About the range, you know, he, like the artists I admire, 
don't feel the need to make the record. I mean, I also remember talking to to Brian Eno and like, oh, and like after, and I said, why did you leave Roxy Music after two albums? And he said, because having sort of done what we wanted and got to a position where I could do anything, yeah. the least attractive proposition was doing the same thing again. Mm. Now, I mean, I think he was slightly wrong because I think Roxy Music went on to make some really great albums there. I mean, I love all Roxy Music albums. I love every single one. But uh, Bowie is another case in point. But yeah, I mean, he, he wanted to, I wanted to do something because the album um, Deux is about um, twos, connections, pairings, Robert Johnson and the devil. And, and, and this was the most personal one, really, which is about me and David Bowie and sort of acknowledging the fact that... Um, I admired him so much as a kid and bought Ziggy Stardust with me paper round money when I was 14. And the idea that I would one day be in a room with him backstage at Hammersmith Odeon and he's looking at the set list and saying, do you think we should do changes here or shall I do Man Who Sold the World there? And I'm like, you're asking me, this is insane. Um, and, and when he died, you know, uh, it really stopped me in my tracks. And it really, because he'd been such um, an idol of mine for the whole of my sort of adult and pre-adult life, adolescent life, but the idea of a world in which David Bowie wasn't working on a record and was going to release something was a, was a change for me. Yeah. Um, and um, I feel really delighted that he finished off with such great work, you know, the, the, the body of work yeah. sort of, because there was a dip in the 80s, as everybody, and including him, acknowledged. So the idea that it finished strongly is great, I think. Um, and so we just... Um, uh, I, I remember <clears throat> that album. I remember it was the, the K West sign. You're right, which was a fur dealers, I think, a furrier. Yeah, it's a funny that. Uh, uh, yeah, funny, and it yeah. said Quest, and so it was like originally we called that song something else. I can't remember what it was now. But then a friend mm -hmm. asked, oh, "Why do you call it Quest?" Because it's like you going on the pilgrimage to where that where the sign is, where he stood for the cover photo, which was. Um, on a rainy day, and it was like the rest of the band didn't want to go out and get the hair wet. He, uh, the, the Woody Woodman's and the drummer told me. And David went out and did, they did about eight photos in black and white, and then they tinted them, which means it gives them that um, really kind of old-fashioned postcard over-bled colour look. Yeah. And what particularly always fascinated me was in the background there's a building, and it's got yellow lights in the windows. And sitting in Bolton in the drizzle and looking at those windows, they seem to be a kind of beckoning bright light, like, you know, uh, well, it says it in the song, a tantalising glimpse of the, there was more than was allowed. You know, the, the, there are possibilities, other worlds out there. Yeah, and it's, yeah. I suppose in the most cliche way, the bright lights of London, I suppose. So that always fascinated me and drew me towards it. And so we did that song about walking down to the, um, the plaque on Hedden Street, which is just off Regent Street. And then... <clears throat> We, um, the person who opened that plaque, unveiled that plaque, was Gary Kemp of Spandau Ballet. And through a mutual friend, Susie Howard, who's credited on the album, we sort of got to know Gary and talk about it. And he did a couple of bits on my radio show. And then I said, look, we've done this song. Um, would you fancy adding a guitar solo for no money? <laughs> and, uh, and he said, yeah, all right. And we didn't hear anything from a bit. And then one Sunday morning, I was at home and... I was, and uh, the phone went, Gary Kemp, he said, oh, he says, is it too late? I've done this solo. I said, is it too late? Of course it's not too late. And so he just, he just, I, I don't oh, know, yeah. did he send, did he WhatsApp it or email his solo? Or something? He WhatsApped it and I chopped it up. Well, there's nothing to chop up. He, he did it in, sounded like he did it in one take. And I just, all I did was just trim it off at the end and drop it in. It was like, perfect. Fantastic. 
So Gary Kemp's on there, which is... And it all just fits perfectly, doesn't it? Having him involved with what you just said about the unveiling of the plaque. I mean, having yeah. a proper 360 track, that. You know. Another yeah. Bowie fan. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I only saw Bowie once, but actually I think you introduced him, Mark. It was at the Moo Festival. <laughs> Do you remember that? Moo Festival. I think that's where I saw Bowie. And I think, yeah. Do I remember that? I was absolutely hammered. It was. I got absolutely pissed off. Oh, yeah, well, you won't remember Mark it. Riley, you spent... won't remember it. Well, I don't... It was pouring down with rain, wasn't it? Suede and Divine Comedy were on, and we were absolutely hammered. We'd been drinking all day, and when we went on, and people were waiting to see David Bowie. You know, they'd been waiting, like you, about eight hours in the rain. Yeah. And then we went on and did an introduction that lasted about six minutes, when, you know, <laughs> about six seconds would have been right. Um, so it's not my finest hour, that. Um, I think so, you uh, the rain, didn't eh? I think the rain stopped when you came on, if I remember. I remember the rain or the sun came out when... Before Bowie, so maybe you stopped the rain. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we did. Like power, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it wasn't my finest hour, I don't think. But yes, yeah. yeah. That was a good gig, wasn't it? That was a great gig. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm just yeah. so glad I got to see him. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. yeah. Not to meet the man, anyway. <laughs> it was just amazing. Um, so going back to, uh, I know you're, how the two of you met. Uh, for any listeners, you're not sure about how the story of Oon and how the. I know uh, Paul, you're a hacienda. DJ, aren't you? Yeah, well, my brother was my brother was the was the resident DJ in the Fifth Man of the Hacienda, and I was working as like Janitor. his brother, mess and met yeah, janitor, uh, <laughs> and and I was doing a little bit of remixing, a little bit of production for some of the smaller bands on Rob's Records, um, oh, which was like uh, Sub Sub did a little bit of Sub Sub, and he, you know, another guy's there, and then. Rob Gretton gave me a little, he said to me, uh, I hummed him this track and he said, uh, do you fancy doing something now? Because it's in New Order's writing room uh, near, um, out of the Blue Studios, which was around the corner from sort of um, Sankey Salt on that Northern Quarter area, Manchester, if you don't know it. And it was really good. And I went in there and I come out with this four track EP and Rob took it on, Rob's records. And then it all seemed to fit in because I'd make, I'd make the, tracks on cassette and I could have do it I could have played it that night at the Hacienda so I can get like an immediate reaction and and that's, um, why, and that's why the Hacienda was empty for a long time and yeah that's why it successfully cleared that night you know, <laughs> many a night <laughs> oh. so that was my that was my uh, that was my little bit of uh, involvement in the Hasbuds and I believe the two of you met in a pub was that right and then just shared a mutual love of music and Football and dogs, um, yeah. some of my favourite things. We, we yeah. did the we did the, the builders' arms, which is on the on the Nutsford Riviera. <laughs> oh, lovely, yeah. yeah, yeah it's, lovely. Uh, um, it, I I moved to Nutsford about ten years ago. I mean, people, because, you know, it feels it feels to me and Paul like we've known each other our whole lives, really. Yeah, um, and people always assume we're sort of childhood friends, and we're not. We've known each other sort of nine years. Um, but we've lived pretty intensely in each other's pockets for about the last I would talk to, you know, I would talk to Paul every day, really, yeah. well, sometimes more than once. And, you know, and Paul's wife says, oh, you spoke to your other wife. My wife says, oh, have you talked to your boyfriend yet? You know, <laughs> we, 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 I mean, it has, we, it has been insanely close that we spent an awful lot of time because I did a lot of gigs sort of on my own, just sort of like telling stories and singing songs. And Paul would always drive me and, you know, been my tour manager. And so we've spent an awful lot of time together. And um, we make each other laugh a lot. Yeah. A lot. Um, <laughs> and, um, but it started, I, I came, moved to Nutsford. And um, 
I had a dog and I'm a Man City fan. I said, is there a pub in Nutsford where it's sort of Man City fans mainly? Is there a blue pub where you can take dogs in? And someone said, the builder's arms. So I started going in there on my own. I didn't know anybody um, and sit on my own. And, and, and gradually one thing led to another. We started chatting and, you know, um, and uh, and it went from there, really. But then it wasn't for we, um, Oon doesn't, come till about 2000 and when did it start Paul 17 2017 yeah something like that and then um we um at one point we were doing it and I was playing in a folk rock band and Paul was sort of you know tour managing that and things and helping us out and then one time he said um oh I do all this electronic music you know and and I thought oh god that'll be terrible because he's such a he's such a clown you know I mean I, I, I of Paul he's such a golden hearted person but you know he's a clown and um, I thought well if you know it'll be like bad John Shuttleworth this and he, and he played <laughs> well, it and he, he played it to me <laughs> like I'm like that. are you sure you've done this it's like you trying to wipe me up here because it was so good um, it needed I think what the beauty of it was that it was so good and full of interesting sounds and noises but Paul um, by his own admission sort of just these long tracks not quite knowing where they're going and not and Paul didn't really have the feel that I think I do have for how you can make it into a song and say well we need another bit here so I imposed some structure on it and then took it and so so that and that's pretty much still how we work really you know but what we've found really interesting is that Paul will write something and we'll get a structure and then once we've got the structure we've got the words in then then it comes back to me and I start hearing melody lines over the top of, over the chords that Paul has written. And I wouldn't ever have thought of writing his chords, but then he wouldn't have ever thought of writing my tune. So those things, I've, I've no idea. I've not got where a clue those how tunes that come from. And Paul says, how did you get that tune? I said, I have no idea. And we added, we had a track on the new album about a whirlwind and Paul, and Paul was playing it. And he says, oh, don't worry about that one. I'm moving on to something else. And I said, no, hold on a minute. Immediately, I've got a tune on that. And it's just like, it, it just sometimes happens like that. And so we're a good combination because we actually don't really, don't really overlap each other's skill sets in a way. We do, we do different jobs, but we cover yeah. everything between us. Yeah. I, still, I still don't know how you, how, how, how you do that, you know. No, it's but I alch- don't know either. It's alchemy. That's what it, it is. is al- yeah, it's as good a word as any. Yeah, it's good meeting of minds. Yeah, it just seems to work. Yeah, it does yeah. seem to work. I don't. We trust each other as well, I think. And also, Paul's very good because I think he's less of an egomaniac than me, really. And so, like, if I say, <laughs> I, like, I will, he will, he will spend hours, days, nights on something, and I'll say. Oh, I don't like that. And he will never turn around to me and say, have you any fucking idea how long this has taken? <laughs> you know, all you've got to do is write a couple of words. He'll, he'll never say that. So, well, okay, I've got other ones. But then there's one track on the album about cycling, which neither of us are particularly keen on, so I don't know how that happened. <laughs> um, there's, one, there's one track on about cycling, and Paul wrote this thing, and I loved it. I loved the start of it. And then he did loads of other complicated bits. That went over. I said, I don't want, we don't need any of those. We only, mm. need, we only need this bit. This is the golden bit of this. And then I wrote a bit just to tag the two halves of it together. And um, but he'll never say, "Well, God, that's like three weeks' work wasted." He'll never say that. He might think, no. but he never says it. <laughs> and as well as uh, the recording stuff, obviously, you you guys get out there and you do loads of shows. I've, I've constantly seen gigs. I mean, I saw you at the Blue Dot Festival, which is 
festival I go to every year. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's we, 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 we really missed this year, that. but anyway. <laughs> well, there we go. I know. Uh, well, yeah. uh, thanks, Bjork. Uh, just drop that. Well, um, but yeah, it was. Uh, but anyway, hopefully to see you there again. But uh, yeah, yeah, we will do. It. We'll do it. We'll absolutely. We've been asked to do it, so it's you know. Let's see if we can make the make the. Uh, time, minutes, and hours work for us. Work for yeah, what's, been, what's been interesting is when we started doing electronic music, and you know, obviously, all the electronic bands have been have been quite sort of um, remote in a way. There's a sort of coldness, a coolness about electronica that we kind of liked, and I liked that because I'd always talked so much with bands. And our first couple of gigs, I didn't say anything, and then I began to realise that if people came to see me, they wanted me to say something. And, and then I started to think, almost like going back to the conversation we were having about, you know, different genres of music, that, and, and there are no rules. And I thought, well, there really are no rules. It's, it's not a law that you can't speak if you're doing electronic music. There's no reason why you can't talk in between the songs like you would if you were doing a folk gig. There's no reason. So once I had that sort of epiphany, it made it easier. And we've made these... Um, we, we also thought that because we, we've got all films for each track, you know, just cobbled together from stuff we find on the internet um, that we don't have to pay any royalties for, we hope. Um, that they, but then we thought, well, you know, so it's not going to work. And then we were thinking we were going to we do it like the Chemical Brothers, you know, <laughs> and all that on a massive scale. But then again, you realise, well, all you need is a projector and a screen or more or less like a bed sheet hung up and you can show these pictures. Yeah. So there's no reason why you can't do an electronic gig with chat in a venue as small as the Salty Dog in Northwich, which holds about 40, which yeah. we've done a few Ooh. times. And we've always had great nights there. You know, it, like if we're going to well, wait for... fun music, isn't it? It's not like, yeah. say, I don't know, Massive Attack, we're quite dark, Massive Attack. You can understand maybe why they don't talk, but your music's a bit more fun and uplifting, I would say. So maybe... Yeah, and, each, and, each, and there's something to say, because each song has got a story behind it with yeah. a song that goes with it. So there are, st there, there are stories to tell. Um, and it's like, I think people get more out of it if they know what the song's about and what the pictures mean. And uh, and so, yeah, and, and also we're like a folk duo with machines, really. You know, we can go in one car, we just have a couple of little tables with some gadgets on and, you know, a little screen and a projector. And I kind of like the little, the, there's an organic side to the way that we do it, even though it's a digital thing. Yeah, oh, so that's uh, might be for York. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's some of the memorable shows you uh, performed? I know you've uh, you, you played with uh, Heaven Seventeen uh, this year. That was colossal, Heaven Seventeen Plaza. That's such a good venue. I love it's this old venue. Top, top venue. Man. How was that, that playing with them? Oh, come on! It's great when you know when when uh, Glenn Gregory is on the side of the stage giving you the thumbs up. Oh, come on! Don't get better than that for me. He's an amazing vocalist, actually. I mean, I've seen he's better now than he was then. I mean, he's so big and he's like, a, he's a proper star. People don't realise how great he is. I mean, I, I saw him do yeah. those gigs with um, Woody Woodmansey. Yeah, yeah. And his voice is incredible. Very incredible. Uh, and they were so nice. They couldn't have been chummier. And they came all the way from London to do a charity thing for, you know, with, uh, Kim and John at Radio Northwich, who do a great job there. They'd invited them and they'd put the gig on. It was really good. Um, and Loved they were it. very chummy, although we nearly um, we nearly spoiled Heaven 17 set because just as they were going on, we were introducing <laughs> their female backing singers to the joys of the onion bargy scotch egg. So, oh, right. Uh, 
<laughs> they, they went on with their cheeks stuffed full of Scotch egg and could see. They sound lovely. I've never heard of one. Oh, it's quality. Well, where did quality. we get the caramel? The, we had a caramelised onion Scotch egg from Tesco Express the other day. Newcastle. In Newcastle. Go to the wrong Tesco's. We're big, we're big on Scotch eggs. I've never um, heard of an onion bargy Scotch egg. But I know. Oh. It's a taste sensation, Scott. Yeah. It's a life-changing thing. Might be the future. It is the future. We did another good one quite recently, didn't we, Paul, at Sea Powers Festival at Mooncaster oh, Castle. Oh, so good. Steve Davis was on with his synths doing a kind of... The snooker player Steve Davis was doing a kind of far-out Euro electro thing. He's brilliant, um, isn't he? He's been, on this, he's been on this podcast, actually. Yeah. He's yeah. his stuff. I mean, I didn't think... I knew he would, but he's... Yeah. Knows his, he knows his electro... He really does. Yeah, no, he's really serious He's definitely it. not boring, either. No, he's really... He's far from it. Funny. Far from it. He's just no, complete Yeah. <laughs> he's making up for his boring years and never being able to have a drink because he's playing. So he's making up for it. Um, and he still looks great because his band are full of is full, you know, full of people with like big freaky hair and all that. That's and he right. still looks like he's just come off the snooker table. Yeah. He looks like <laughs> Gong, I think one of them's in Gong. And yeah, they've got a really yeah. good band. Yeah. 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 One of them is in Gong. Oh, fantastic. Right. So I really yeah. wouldn't announce this live news. It was that the one with the tour with during breaks with yes you. so we're very excited about that we played with them at the cathedral and because we're electronic and they're very much not so it's kind of a nice evening of contrast but both acts are very you know we are electronic but we're very very um song based you know it's not uh it, it, it's very accessible we think so we start on thursday the 2nd of march next year in liverpool and then we do birmingham and manchester cathedral then we do Newcastle, Cambridge, Cardiff and Bristol and Southampton, London and Brighton. And uh, the um, Premier Inns are booked. <laughs> we're, uh, we're, we're sort of in love of Premier Inn. Um, I'm happy for this to go in. Maybe we'll get a deal. Um, uh, <laughs> say how wonderful Premier Inn. No, Premier, but not the price, as they say. We love it. We love Premier Inn. It's you might do an advert, get an advert deal with them. But I'd love to. Lenny Henry, yeah. It's not a bad uh, challenge. Um, yeah, because when you're, it's really important because, like, really, Premier Inn, if you, but, you know, when you kind of, you do a gig and then you travel to the um, next place and you want to check in at sort of two o'clock and you've got the afternoon before the sound check, the afternoon becomes your downtime and you're, you're almost your relaxing evening. So the fact you can go to a premier and you always know you can get a warm, quiet, clean room is great. And they're always they're always next door to something like a harvester restaurant or something. Aren't they? <laughs> you know, so it's great. It's yeah. great. It makes it much easier. Yeah. Yeah. I want to think about actually a good question way to ask both of you uh, separately. It's like when you obviously big music nuts, but when did your sort of a lot of electronic music start? What kind of things were you listening to? electronic wise that sort of thought that's what I love which sort of artists I think for me when I sort of first became aware that you could be a, a, a group without guitars and with electronics would be Tangerine Dream really in the early 70s because I I um, you know I was born in 58 so I was a kind of teenager in the 70s and so Tangerine Dream I mean obviously when we first heard Autobahn it was like well this sounds like the Beach Boys Barbaran and these guys dress like bank clerks and with this inscription you know like they, but that so I was always fascinated by the idea that um, 
a pop group could be four guys who look like that and not four guys who look like Led Zeppelin or the Beatles. I was always fascinated by that idea. But, you know, having a sort of clean-cut, bookish look myself, being rock and roll was always a bit too hard work for me. You know, I know it came naturally, really. And um, But also, I was fascinated by the noises, like, you know, on, on chart hits, like Chicory Tip, Son of My Father, and Space Magic Fly. And um, and things like that, you know, and you've just did well, what is that noise? What, are, you know, the early synthesizer tracks, um, you know, even something um, like, what was it? Uh, Rocket Man by um, Elton John, which has some synths in it. Like, What's that noise? What is that? I was really interested in that noise. So because, of course, you know, you start getting into music through watching Top of the Pops, really, and chart music so those would be the first places that you would have heard noises that you couldn't recognize as a guitar or a piano really yeah because you touched upon uh craft work because obviously you've interviewed various members of craft work haven't you over the years that must have been a real thrill to actually you know speak to some of these you get a real insight into it because actually wolfgang fleur and carl bartos are both hilarious and um um Ralph Hutter sort of isn't. Um, and uh, he's kind of very serious and very polite and lovely, yeah. precise. And so you get the, you, you get, you quickly find the dynamic that was there. Yeah. I wouldn't criticize anybody because they made some of the most important music ever. Um, and so, but it was quite clear, it was quite clear that Wolfgang Fleur, who was the handsome one, if he was going to be in a band tour in the world, he was going to live that lifestyle. And, he, you know, he was going to have it all. Yeah. And I think there was uh, that behaviour was very deemed quite uncraftwork like by Ralph. I don't know about Florian, but Carl Bartos and Wolfgang Fleur, certainly both hilarious, really funny. Um, and um, But Ralph is, is, I guess, the mastermind. It was his group. So what he, what he said when. Yeah, I met Ralph Potter a few years ago, and I think it's the only time I've, Probably been quite starstruck, you know, when yeah. you just can't. I could hardly speak, but he was, he was fine. He was very lovely. But, um, no, he's always polite and it's good, but he's, yeah. he's very precise. But I mean, you know, it's hard to think that there is anyone who's ever lived that's had more of an effect on electronic music than Ralph Hutter, isn't yeah. it? There are I, other, I, there are other influential people, but no one has been more influential than Ralph Hutter. That's true. I mean, that's the case, isn't it? There's some really big bands out there that. Are massive, but they've never influenced anyone. And then you have smaller groups, or not smaller groups, but groups like Craftwork, and you read the list of who they've influenced and you can't get to the bottom of it. So there you are, it's not all. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I'm interested about how the two of you work in, in the studio. So we touched upon making the music itself. Uh, so do you use mainly computer sort of software or do you like- I use, analog? Um, at the moment, I'm using, um, Archoria V Collection 9, but I do, looking above me, we've got the Korg MS-20, nice. which is uh, baselines, and then the Machina Plus, which is for sort of your little gnarly little orbital noises that sits in the middle, and then the Korg M1, which is for strings, and I do like a good Roland, so I've got a, I've got a, a Roland keyboard. Your Odyssey. And my Arp Odyssey, obviously. Right. Oh, hang on, I'll show you this. Hang on, hang on. And your de- and your deluge. deluge. As Mark would say, this is always good for radio, showing you stuff. <laughs> um, for an audio podcast. 
It is. We could describe it what is. it is. Oh, you're getting out. I, I will describe what it is. I'll let you describe what it is. It's yeah. that. Oh, it's a figure of beauty is what it is. Yeah. Wow. Ex-Chemical Brothers. You're joking. No, really? that's, what they, that's what they used at Glastonbury when they last the last played it. And the actual that, one? That, this actual one. And that was given to me by a guy called Chris York, who uh, not very well at the moment. You've not said what it is, either of you. It is a Roland TB303. It's not modded up. It's just it's just the original, the five grand in my hand. That is what it is. It's and it's absolutely, and it's a thing. It's colossal. Yeah, it just cost me seven hundred quid to get it to, to get it all serviced, but it's well worth it. And bizarrely, I don't know how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what YouTube's for, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. YouTube. YouTube. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm. That's what I'm using. And I have my voice and a pen and a notebook. And a guitar. And an a impossibly guitar. small guitar. And, uh, and if I'm writing, I go up in the loft and I get down an old Yamaha DJX. And I write, I write a song on it. There's too many buttons on it. And too much, so it's always, it's always questionable what's going to come out. Yeah. But I, then I'll try, and re- I'll try and write the song that I'm working on and I'll record it on my phone and WhatsApp it to Paul and say, right, do this properly now. Oh, I, I sit there. I, I don't really get involved creative. in the tech. I don't really get involved in the tech. And when we play live, um, Paul and our resident tech and sound guy Jim do all that. I was going to say, how do you how do you bring it live? Is it slightly different for you? Yeah, it's all through the machine plus. So what we do, load it into the machine, and then we play uh, some live on my side. It's very much a two two way thing. Mark has a chaos pad and an Alesis D four. Um, drum pad which triggers uh, drum samples and then uh, Mark does all his swirls and sweeps and low, really filthy, dirty, low-end sort of moog sweeps when, particularly when we come on uh, and there's like this low sweep that comes on and it's so it shakes the internal organs it's that looks brilliant yeah, and, uh, and on well, my I'm side and guitar, my guitar and your guitar and on my side it's more uh, the machiner what the visuals, so I've got a couple of Macs running the visual, a couple of iPads running, um, uh, you know, sweeps and this and the other, and then my Arp Odyssey, which is kind of like yeah. the, the central part of it, along with the machine. Yeah. I don't, I, yeah, don't go, I don't go down down that end. It's frightening. Um, you're not <laughs> just pushing a button. You're not just you're not just pushing a button because I think that's the misconception that people just think, oh, you just push a button and that's it. And there's a lot more to it than. Than that. And a lot more to it, yeah. I mean, we make it, we make it easy, you know. You know, if if, if we have to sort of do what's called sleeve and mods, yeah. But I'm just thinking with, um, funny enough, it was on about a sort of craft work at, at Blue Dot again, actually. And it was yeah, I was there. There was these two girls behind me, and one of them said to the other, "Are they doing anything up there?" And I thought, I'm not that kind of guy who turns around and you know. But in my head, I was thinking, these guys like built uh, synthesizers in the '70s, and they're classically trained. Yeah. So just yeah. because they're using maybe something easier now, I don't blame them. It still, they, you know, they use they use um, still do native it. In, they, they use native instruments, a lot of native instruments gear, and also an Omnisphere too, which has got Gary Newman uses, which is a software based piece of kit, and it's about five hundred quid. But it, it's it's Jean Michel Jarre uses, it, but it's really organic. You can yeah. you can push the sound around with your hands. Uh, on one occasion, we were playing a gig at Cromford Mills when everything failed. Um, we still yeah. don't really know why. Um, fortunately, it was in the song that we were talking about before, Devil, the blues song. So I did that solo on, on the guitar. 
<laughs> um, it probably doesn't bear close examination, but people were uh, realised what was happening and clapped along with it and kept it going. So it filled a spot while uh, it got rebooted. While Paul and Jim hit things with lump hammers at the side of me. <laughs> so, and, yeah, each other. Yeah. So it's been a really nice speech, and it's sort of finishing off. So we've got the the album coming out in the spring. Did you say? Yes, we've got no date on that, but I'm hopeful in the spring. It's finished um, and uh, it's with the record company. We're waiting to look at some designs. Um, mm. We've done a new, um, because of, we've got some uh, vinyl, um, a lot of vinyl, and some people want a CD and a bit cheaper. And so we've done a little compilation of our first three albums on CD, but that's only going to be just something to sell at the gigs. And that's called Ace. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and we well, have the, the the other three. I think Spominic, the third album, is it was vinyl only, and I think that's sold out now. But we had, but Lost and Deux are available. The first two albums <laughs> on, on vinyl. Yeah, brilliant. Right. Well, I, I said I can't wait for more releases and to see you guys live again. And just well, thank you very much. Thank so, you, Scott. Thanks thank for your you. interest. <laughs>